And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on Hump Day, Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. Kicking off the show, Digital by Joy Division. Of course, Joy Division, the band that was, uh, that New Order, uh, I guess the band that preceded New Order, of course, until the tragic suicide of frontman Ian Curtis. We've got a big show to get to tonight. We have got... NFL Week 4 in the books. Quick look ahead to Week 5, although actually we'll do that on Friday's show. Um, We've got uh, Major League Baseball. Playoffs have started. We had a very, obviously, the weird two, uh, I guess, tiebreaker games uh, in the NL West and the NL Central to see who was going to win the division. With the Brewers beating the Cubs, so the Cubs being the wild card team, the Dodgers beating the Rockies, the Rockies being the wild card team, and of course the Rockies having to travel from LA to Chicago after going from Colorado to LA, and then beating the Cubs in 13 innings last night, two to one, is the Cubs' inability to hit uh, bit them again. Uh, very strange end to the season for the Cubs, you know, with that lineup. You would think uh, that they certainly should score more than one run. Um, But uh, as Michael Wilbon said yesterday on PTI, who's a big Cubs fan, I think the Cubs had scored one run or less in 10 of their last 30 games. So uh, clearly, uh, you know, a a team-wide slump last night, certainly no exception. Uh, Lester pitched well for the Cubs. But, um, you know... Uh, he gave up one run. I mean, you take that every time. Six innings, right? One run. Uh, the Cubs just couldn't get anything done on offense uh, against against a bad Rockies bullpen, too. I understand Kyle Freeland had a very good year for the Rockies. Um, their bullpen has been wretched all year. They invested a lot of money, guys like Jake McGee and Brian Shaw. Um, but, um, you know, Cubs couldn't get it done. When they needed to, bases loaded, uh, nobody out, couldn't score, or only scored one run. So uh, you've got now uh, Dodgers, Braves. This should be an interesting series, right? Dodgers look like they're they're hitting on all cylinders at just the right time. Uh, you know, Braves are the young upstarts, right, with the two studs, Acuna and uh, Acuna and Albies. Um, as far as position players, and of course, you know, stalwart Freddie Freeman, Nick Markakis had a career year for them this year. Uh, so that should be an interesting series. And then uh, the Rockies are going to play the Brewers, which would be uh, a very interesting series. I, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, the Brewers have the, the, this year's MVP in Christian Yelich. Guy just missed a triple crown, was absolutely on fire in the month of September when the Brewers needed him most. Um, and, you know, again, glad the Mets had no interest in Christian Yelich in the offseason, right? You know, the Brewers got him for basically nothing. A couple of prospects, right? Lewis Brinson, I guess, being the, the most notable who, you know, it's got some ability here and there. But, I mean, I, I watched him play a bunch against the Mets this year because, obviously, the Mets play the Marlins a ton. And, you know, while he did, I think he... And I think I saw him hit a home run off to Grom, of all people. Other than that, I mean, the guy basically struck out every other at-bat. <laughs> so I'm not saying he won't eventually be a good player, but again, you know, this idea that you can't trade prospects. I mean, again, Christian Yelich is, what, 27, 28, and established major league player. 
excellent defensively, really good hitter, and he had a monster year for the Brewers. Look, been talking about the Brewers all year. They that lineup is deep, it's good, right? Starting pitching a little funky, although kind of got their act together. They got Gio Gonzalez late in the year. That was actually a pretty good pickup for them. Uh, Julius Chassin has been good for them all year, former Rocky. Uh, but that bullpen is tremendous, you know, especially now that Corey Knebel is back and pitching well. You add him with Hader and Jeffers. Uh, it's a deep bullpen. It's a good bullpen, especially because Hader can go multiple innings if you need him to. And, you know, they kind of have a bit of a closer by committee between Knebel, Jeffers, and Hader. You know, sort of the way... You know, council does it is with sort of the, you know, kind of dictates by matchups and things like that. Um, and it's worked, obviously. I mean, look, Bruce had a hell of a year. So uh, I would suspect, I, I, I would like to see a Brewers, Dodgers, NLCS. And then the American League start tonight. The Yankees against the A's, where the A's are going to employ the bullpenning methodology. Uh, Lance Hendrickson is going to start the game. Uh, he's a bullpen guy. He's going to probably only pitch, I would say, at most two innings, and then they're going to go from there. Look, you know, it, it, this is a one. This, you know, this is a one or done scenario, right? Um, you may as well. I mean, the, 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 look, the A's don't have anybody who's a true number one starter. Um, you know, I don't understand Mike Fires pitched well for them after he came over in the trade down the stretch, but he's by no means the definite. You know, uh, a number one guy. He's probably at best a competent fourth starter uh the interesting thing is that you're already elected to go with Luis Severino which by the way if he gives you another stinker like he did last year against the twins uh, I mean not Girardi <laughs> Aaron Boone Aaron Boone is going to get lambasted in the media I mean you know team some some writers are already first guessing uh the move uh I think it's an odd move I mean you're basing it on Severino's potential listen yes Severino at his best is better than anybody, any of the other Yankee starters at their best, right? He's better than Jay Happ at Jay Happ's best. He's better than Tanaka. Well, yeah, I guess he is. I mean, he's got, he's more overpowering. I don't know that he's necessarily better than Tanaka. I mean, when Tanaka's got it all going on, he's really good. But he hadn't been good lately. You know, you don't want to, I guess they don't trust Sabathia in that spot, especially against a, a, a predominantly righty hitting A's lineup. Um, you know, Chapman, Olsen, and Chris Davis they're th- are their three best hitters, are all righties. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting um, to see what happens as far as Severino is concerned. Uh, you know, I would have gone with Jay Happ personally. And again, probably the lefty righty thing um, is probably why Boone elected to go with Severino. But I would have gone with Jay Hatt. He's been the most consistent pitcher for the Yankees since he came over in the trade from Toronto. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, Severino. Well, you know, Severino, obviously, you know, very small sample size, but in the, as far as postseason is concerned, but it was obviously, you know, it was terrible last year. Uh, and again, he just hadn't been pitching like well for two months. You know, he's, he's shown some signs recently of being better, but certainly not the dominant pitcher we saw in the first half of the season. So, again, um, Aaron Boone already leaving himself open for tons of second-guessing. So we shall see how that goes. So Yankees A's, and then we got Red Sox Indians, and then I guess they 
Uh, no, sorry. The Red Sox will play the winner of this game tonight, and then the Indians and the Astros will play, which also should be an outstanding series, particularly because, you know, the A's, their top three starters, right? I mean the A's. The Astros, uh, Verlander, um, Garrett Cole, and Dallas Keuchel, right, with McCullers on call in the bullpen, Charlie Morton, uh, probably would be their fourth starter in that series. And then the Indians have got Kluber, Carrasco, uh, Bauer, and Clevenger. So also a really good starting staff. Probably the two best starting staffs. Not probably. They have the two best starting staffs in probably the whole playoffs, but certainly in the American League. You know, the Red Sox, I understand, sale and price. Um, after, and, you know, Porcello's okay. I mean, he's not great. He's good. He's not great. And Price is postseason and sale, for that matter. Both Price and Sale's postseason track records are not good. So that'll be that bears watching. Thing that it worries me about the Indians is their bullpen. Same thing with the uh, with the with the with the Red Sox. Astros, same thing. Right. And then, especially late in the game, closers. I mean, the Red Sox closer doesn't worry me. Kim, well, Kim, you know what? Kimbrell has not been as dominant as he was with the Braves, but he's still pretty good. But getting to Kimbrell is a problem for the Dodgers, uh, for the Dodgers, for the Red Sox. Uh, the Indians, you know, look, Cody Allen has been spotty. You know, Andrew Miller, when he's on the top of his game, is unhittable. But you know, he he's been he's been hurt a couple times this year, so that bears watching. You know, he's been used a ton. Right, I mean, the Indians basically ran him into the ground a couple of years ago, uh, you know, and he pitched a lot for the Orioles. He pitched a lot for the Yankees. So, um, you know, he's he, he's been used an awful lot. And I think you're starting to see that now, as far as, as far as injuries popping up and and him not being quite as effective. The Yankees, I think, actually, if they are, if their bullpen guys are healthy, they are well positioned to make a run in these playoffs. Because, you know, starting pitching is, is, is less significant. Um, and the Yankees starting pitching is, you know, it's okay. It's not great, right? Severino, Hap, Sabathia, Tanaka. Eh, it's okay. It's not, not, not great. But if Britton is at the top of his game, if Chapman's at the top of his game, if Robertson's going to be at the top of his game. Now, Robertson's not been very good all year. So, uh, you know, I don't know that he's going to magically turn it on. By the way, it's another guy who's been used a ton, right? He's got a lot of wear and tear. You know, Dave Robertson's been around a long time now. Um, but, you know, is Chad Green going to be the... I mean, the Yankees potentially could be five deep in the bullpen. But, you know, again, are you getting Zach Britton from two years ago when he was dominant with the Orioles? Or are you getting, you know, this version of Zach Britton? You know, are you going to get the role of Chapman that can't find the plate or Chapman that slights out? So, but if they get, if those guys, if they, if they get good pitching from their bullpen, Yankees are, are I think, poised to, to make a run. Now, I understand they have some issues with the lineup as far as, you know, inconsistent. I'm surprised. I have to say I'm very surprised Gary Sanchez is starting tonight for the Yankees behind, uh, behind home plate. Very surprised. I would have thought that you would start Austin Romine. If for nothing else, for defense. Now, I understand Sanchez is a much better hitter. You know, once Gary Sanchez is going well, he, he's been awful this year. He hit 185. Now, granted, I know it wasn't in a full season, but nevertheless, 185, yeesh. 
So we'll see. It'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting. You know, I mean, uh, as, as, as much as I'd like to see the A's beat the Yankees because it's a great story, right? I mean, the A's started the year with a $66 million payroll. $66 million. Now it's up to a whopping 80 And they won 94 games. So it's a great story, right? Certainly they're the underdog. But you also kind of have to look forward to Yankees-Red Sox in the next round as well. So I, I guess you can't go wrong there. As, as a semi-objective observer, you know, just baseball fan in general, both series will be interesting. And again, the Astros-Indians series should be tremendous. So I think we've got actually a pretty exciting baseball postseason to look forward to. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> we're going to have to be treated to Alex Rodriguez doing games, or maybe not. I don't know, I don't know what, the, what the breakdown is like as far as ESPN and Fox is concerned, who gets what games. But, I mean, A-Rod was an absolute atrocity last night. <laughs> First of all, he's terrible to begin with, right? The phoniest human on the planet. Everything he says out of his mouth is an exaggeration. He's insincere. I mean, it's just he, he exaggerates. It's just, you know, he's inarticulate. There's just there's nothing good about him. I really I don't understand. What is the star power of A-Rod? I don't find him appealing at all. And then last night, I mean, he got, he just he kept calling guys by the wrong name. Hold on, let me see if I can find this article. And the, the Post actually did a, a, a piece about it today. Let's see here. Bear with me one second while I pull this up. I should probably have had this at the ready, right? You see, this is where I need to have a producer. I need to have somebody providing this for me. Okay, here we go. So, uh, he was tweeting during the game. That's number one. Okay, great. Here you go. Uh, he called Ian Desmond Desmond Howard. Okay, so not only uh, is that not even close, Desmond Howard was a football player, <laughs> not a baseball player. Rockies manager Bud Black, he called Buddy Bell. Okay, at least Buddy Bell also was a manager and also was a baseball player, but <laughs> that's also. And then Albert Almora Jr. of the Cubs, he called him Almonte. So, okay. And then he said that Javi Baez was 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 the the, the hands down NL MVP again. I, I guess apparently he, he hasn't seen Christian Yelich play this year or is unaware of who he is. <laughs> oh my God, he is so bad. It, it's just amazing. It's amazing. I mean, again, imagine being a journalism major or going to journalism school, broadcasting school, whatever. And, 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 you're, and you're grinding in the minor leagues. You're working like single A ball somewhere. And you watch a game where Alex Rodriguez is doing the game. I mean, you want to blow your brains out, wouldn't you? <laughs> Why? What, 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 what did Alex Rodriguez do to, to achieve this lofty status as a broadcaster? Oh, that's right. He was a, 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 he's a baseball cheat, steroid cheat, right? Has been, you know, basically, uh, let's say, to, to call him an unsympathetic public figure, I think, is putting it mildly and politely. Um, and yet, he has one of the most coveted jobs in, in all of baseball. 
as far as a broadcaster is concerned. I mean, it's ridiculous. Uh, listen, I understand this is nothing new. Sports has been doing this for years where former athletes and or coaches get these jobs. Now, some of them are, are good, most notably John Madden, right? I mean, he was excellent at it, at least early in his early days until he became a caricature of himself. But, um, and you know, and there's some, there, there are plenty of other ones out there that, that, that are good. I mean, look, I love Ron Darling. Um, I think Keith Hernandez is great too. But the guy that keeps that all together is Gary Cohn. And Gary Cohn grinded in the minor leagues for the Mets for, and other teams for years. Then got the radio gig, then got the TV gig. So, anyway. All right. We'll take a short break. We'll be back with NFL Week 4 right after this. And we are back here on a Wednesday edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming back out of the break, a little Ramones howling at the moon. All right, we get to week four of the NFL. We'll kick it off with the Lions. And look, we talked about it last week. You were hoping, we were hoping that win against the Patriots was something to build on. Thought they'd go in and play a Dallas team ripe for the picking. And uh, despite... A uh, beautiful fourth quarter touchdown from Matthew Stafford to Golden Tate, second hookup of the day to take a lead with 220. Lions lost because their defense stinks. I mean, that's it. It's very simple. The Lions defense isn't any good. And, in, you know, I understand it played well against the Patriots. We talked about it. More of a function, the Patriots don't have any weapons. Okay, Patriots don't have anybody as good as Ezekiel Elliott. Now, and also, you know, Matt Patricia knows that team inside and out. Okay? Lions defense was basically powerless against Ezekiel Elliott. And in fact, the Cowboys did the Lions an enormous favor. Their old offense coordinator, Scott Linehan, who's now the Cowboys offense coordinator, were late in that game with a chance to go up 10. Right? Cowboys up 3, chance to go up 10. They've run the ball down the Lions' throats all day. They've got second and goal from the four. They throw on second down, and then they throw on third, and they line up a guy who's basically learning how to play tight end, who literally has zero career catches. They split him out wide, try to get him in a one-on-one matchup against Nevin Lawson, who does a nice job. Incomplete, they kick a field goal, go up six, line score, touchdown. So the Cowboys basically set themselves up to perfectly lose by one and should have based on that ridiculous play calling. But, of course, the Lions defense couldn't answer the bell. Jared Davis gives up a long pass to Ezekiel Elliott. Set him up for a field goal. Game over. By the way, though, you also get the impression that had the Cowboys needed to go down and score a touchdown on that drive, they would have done that, too. Lions defense is lousy. And it starts, I'm sorry to say, with the middle linebacker. You don't have a middle linebacker, you don't have a defense. And Jared Davis is not an NFL-quality middle linebacker at this point in his career. He's not. And pro football focus and the Lions beat writers and whoever else could try to tell me he's making strides and he's gotten better in pass coverage. Well, on the most important play of the game in pass coverage, he got beat. Okay? And I don't want to hear it from Paul Pasqualone and the Lions D coordinator who said, oh, well, you know, coverage wasn't that bad. It was just a good throw. Uh, first of all, he was beat by about a yard. That's wide open in the NFL. Second of all, uh, what good does it do you if he's there if he doesn't make the play? 
But what's more distressing is the fact that he's atrocious against the run. He can't play the run. Now, look, I'm not trying to say that Ezekiel Elliott isn't good. Of course, we all know he's good. When he's healthy and his head's on straight, he's a very good player. But, I mean, he basically just did whatever he wanted. I mean, Jared Davis didn't make a tackle on him on a running play at or around the line of scrimmage the whole game. The whole game. Yeah, he made one good tackle on him on, on, on a pass out in the flat. But, by the way, the, the play still picked up a first down anyway. So... And, and, and pro football focus, by the way, I don't know what criteria they're using to make these judgments, but uh, I watch football long enough to know when a middle linebacker plays well and when he doesn't. And again, when a guy never makes a play at or around or the line of scrimmage and the other team's running back goes for over 200 yards total offense, you're not ha- your middle linebacker didn't play well. I don't care what anybody else says. Throw in the fact the Lions' pass rush was non-existent. Devin Kennard had a covered sack. Deshaun Hand had had a, a, a gift sack where he 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 he. I mean, good good effort. And he and he he, he chased down Dak Prescott. It was a minus one yard, so that counts as a sack technically. But I mean, there was no pass rush. Dak Prescott had plenty of time to sit back there and do whatever he wanted. Cowboys have one receiver that scares anybody in Cole Beasley, and they, they put their third nickel corner, Jamal Agnew, on him, and he had a, Jamal Agnew had a rough day. You know, Nevin Lawson perfectly, you know, in, in, in Michael Gallup's hip pocket, of course, can't get his head turned around and get his arms up to knock a ball away. I mean, again, I say this every week. I love his competitiveness. He tackles. He plays hard. The guy just has terrible ball skills. He just does. And he's been in the league long enough now that it's not going, it's not going to improve. He has zero interceptions in his career. He started 50 games. He had one in the Cowboys game. Hit him right in the hands. Had to play per play. He had it played perfectly. Hit him right in the hands. Went right through his hands for an interception. You can't do that. You got to make those plays. Got to finish. And this Christian Jones, who they signed from the Bears, is even worse than Jared Davis. I didn't think that was possible. He's awful. So, you know, what did we talk about in the Patriots game? No pre-snap penalties. In a, in a Cowboys game, you had a killer false start penalty on Taylor Decker. You had Lions at first and goal, uh, sorry, first and 10 at like the 12, which is a perfect spot to be in, right? Because you can still get a first down without having to score a touchdown. And then instead on first down, false start. Backed him up, killed, killed any chance of a touchdown there. Lions had to settle for a field goal. And then on a third down and, 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 and seven or eight, Cowboys run a play, pass incomplete. No, 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 no. Eli Harold lined up offsides. Lined up offsides. Wasn't even like he was trying to get a good jump on the pass rush. He was lined up incorrectly. That's why you lose games by, one, by two points. You can't have that. Can't have it. Plus the ridiculous personal foul penalty on Romeo Aquara. When Dak Prescott goes down, nobody touches him. No whistles blown. So he jumps back up. Okay. I don't blame Dak Prescott. So Romeo Aquara sees him get back up looking ready to throw, and he pushes him down from behind. Somehow that's a 15-yard penalty. Next play, screen pass touchdown to Zeke Elliott. Cowboys got called for two penalties, by the way. Cowboys. 
That team got called for two penalties. Lions got called for eight, of course. Eight accepted. But I'm not going to blame the game on the refs. Bottom line is the Lions defense had a chance to get a stop when they needed. Offense gave them a lead late. They couldn't get it done. And I knew. AG was overwatching the game with me. We actually behaved ourselves like grown men for a change. You know, a couple of yelling at the screen here and there. But for the most part, you know, we managed to not pummel each other to a bloody pulp. So that's good. <laughs> but I said, I turned and looked to him after the touch. And I said, dude, there's way too much time. Lines left way too much time. And now, I, and look, I'm not criticizing the offense. You don't get to pick and choose when you score. I mean, unless you get all the way down to the goal line and the other team doesn't have any timeouts. But, you know, that was like a, what, a 38-yard play to Golden 10? I mean, you, you take the score when you can get it. I understand that. But I'm just saying as a Lions fan, you knew – all right, just watching that game in particular. I mean, history won, but watching that game specifically, Lions defense won getting off the field. Again, the only time they really got off the field was when Scott Lenahan helped them out with two ridiculous play calls back-to-back from down inside the five-yard line. And then the other thing that was infuriating, if you're a Lions fan, is the fact that Carryon Johnson went for 30 yards on his first carry, got eight carries the rest of the game somehow. In a game that was pretty close. It wasn't like the Lions were down big and had to throw the ball all the damn time. Now, we have to get LeGarrette Blount seven carries for no reason for 12 yards, literally. Even though Johnson went for 55 yards on nine carries. And Theo Riddick has to be in there all the damn time. I mean, I understand he's a nice pass catching back, but, you know, Johnson can catch the ball too. And listen, yes, I get it. You don't want to overwork the kid early. Well, guess what? The games late in the season aren't going to matter when you're 2-8, and eight, okay? And then Matt Patricia, after the game, gave you a typical joke, coaches pablum. Oh, it doesn't matter who starts, starts, doesn't start, how many snaps. We got this per- this personnel grouping, this per- Yeah. Well, if it doesn't matter, then guess what? Let's, let's, let's play Matt Castle's 10 snaps a game then at quarterback. Why don't we do that? It doesn't matter who plays. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Kind of, what kind of an asinine answer is that to a question? Doesn't matter. Of course, it matters. Isn't the whole idea of coaching to play the best players and put them in a position to be successful and win the damn game? Isn't that the whole freaking point? You know, I, these coaches, man. I'll tell you. They're all, all of them, all of them. Doesn't matter, college, pro, almost to a man. They're so, you know, they'll never, ever admit when they make a mistake. I mean, it's just, it's such an unappealing characteristic. It really is. I mean, it's not the end of the world. No one's saying you're a terrible coach. But just say, yeah, you know what? In, in hindsight, we maybe should have gotten carry on some more touches. That's it. End of story, and then guess what? Then it goes away. But now it's going to be a lingering story. It's been going on since Sunday. It's now Wednesday. I mean, you know, you don't have to say, yeah, I'm a real idiot. I really screwed that up. It cost us the game. No one's asking you to do that. But at least acknowledge what the rest of the world sees. See, when you pretend that you know something that we don't, right, or because you're a a professional coach and we're not that you know we somehow there's something else at play here that we don't understand don't treat us like we're idiots it's not that hard okay you're not splitting the atom I understand there's a lot of hard work and preparation goes into being a football coach believe me I'm well aware 
I'm friends with a guy who coached for the Lions back in the 90s under Bobby Ross. I went out to minicamp there twice, and we were at the Silver Dome at 6.30 in the morning for minicamps. And he didn't leave till 6.30 at night. And that was minicamp in April. So I get it. I understand what kind of work these guys put in. I'm not disparaging that at all. But don't treat us like we're idiots. So, look, Lions season basically hinges on this week. They have the Packers at home. They win this game. They're back in the mix. Two and three with the bye coming up. Get some guys healthy. That would be two losses for the Packers. You put yourself right back in the mix. I'm not buying the Bears at 3-1. and one. I understand they beat up on a terrible Tampa Bay team the other day. And everybody's all excited about Mitch Trubisky and his six touchdowns. Yeah, let, let everybody pump the brakes there. Bears defense is good. I've been saying that. And their offense should be better. He's got some weapons, but I'm not buying the fact, again, that they lit up a terrible Tampa Bay team. So... You beat Green Bay, season back on. You lose to Green Bay, season over. One and four, bye-bye. That's it, season over. I mean, look, even if they play well down the stretch and finish nine and seven, what's that going to do? Nothing. Be the same crap we had under Caldwell. And again, unless somehow Jared Davis all of a sudden figures it out, or all of a sudden Eli Harold, or Romeo Aquara, or... Uh, Devin Kennard morph into you know the second coming of LT. I mean Ziggy Hansa supposedly going to play this week. You know I'll believe it when I see it, and we'll see how effective he is. He's the only real credible pass rusher they have, and he's always hurt, unfortunately. And again, I'm not knocking Ziggy Hansa. I love Ziggy Hansa. Guy plays hard when he's out there. He's a good player when he plays. Guys just unfortunately always banged up. All right, moving on. Move on to my other team, <laughs> the Giants. That was not a pretty performance by them on Sunday against the Saints. Um, strangely, well, I shouldn't say strangely. You would have thought the Giants would have put up more points against a bad Saints defense. But, you know, the, the, where and, – and, and oh, there you go. See, Pat Shermer actually did kind of admit after the game, yeah, we probably should have gotten more touches for Saquon. See, that's not so hard, is it? Barkley didn't get enough touches, especially because, you know, look, the Giants' defense was great in the first half. They held the Saints to four field goals. What was it, 12-9 at half? I mean, that was, it was a close game. And the Giants couldn't score in the second half. The Saints got going, aided, though, by some ridiculous officiating. I mean, this Pete Morelli, this guy is so, I mean, he, he's just lost. He's lost. The referee, he and his whole crew, lost. They called a horse collar tackle that was so blatantly not a horse collar, led to a Saints touchdown. The, 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 the officiating in a million other ways, a bad pass interference penalty. I mean, just bad, really bad. But the Giants' offense was not good. I mean, everything that Odell was underneath. Now, I get he's not a real burner, and his long touchdowns generally come on like slants, makes a guy miss, and then he goes the rest of the way. He's not, a, he's not, your, you know, he's not a traditional deep threat kind of guy. And I know Sterling Shepard is more of a, you know, kind of between the hash kind of guy. And then, you know, Evan Engram might be a, a matchup problem for another team. You could run him down the seam, but he's hurt. Um, but, I mean, the, Lions, uh, the, the Giants needed to take more deep shots in that game than they did. Now, that might also be a function of the fact that 
Shermer doesn't trust the offensive line to give Eli enough time to 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 you know to have to th- to throw a deep the deep ball maybe I don't know but disappointing performance for the Giants. Um, you know, look, Saints offense is good. Kamara got rolling in the second half. You know, they're tough to deal with. I mean, they, you know, they score 30 points a game in their sleep. So I'm not ready to say the Giants defense isn't any good, but it, wasn't, it certainly wasn't great. Again, great in the first half, really good in the first half. Second half, they kind of just wore down. Again, you're going to beat the Saints. You, you got to match them score for score. Giants didn't do that. One more game week four that I thought was was interesting was the Monday night game. Casey Denver, Kansas City overcoming, you know, 13-point deficit late in the game. And Patrick Mahomes is continuing to impress. I mean, the guy just does things on the field that a lot of guys can't do. I mean, he's got a, he's got a cannon for an arm. He's very mobile. He throws from different angles. You know, he had the play where he threw, you know, pushed past with his left hand. I mean, the guy, you know, look, again, not taking anything away from Patrick Mahomes. He's been great. Chiefs offense has been great. This is exactly what they did last year. They got off to a ridiculously good start. You know I love Kareem Hunt. That's my guy. Travis Kelsey, best receiving tight end in the NFL. Tyreek Hills, the best deep threat in the NFL. I mean, they, they're legit. They've got weapons. Andy Reid's a creative play caller. They've got a quarterback that can do things that Alex Smith simply couldn't do. I get it. But... They're going to go through a lull. I'm just saying it now. They're going to. It's going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. And I'll admit it if I'm wrong. But it's going to happen. But a very exciting game. And Patrick Mahomes has really taken the league by storm. I mean, this guy played here in one start last year. Certainly proves, is, 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 is bolstering the case to have a guy sit for a year and learn and then let him play. Oh, finally, the last one, actually, I want to mention is the poor Browns. And the Browns had a big lead on the Raiders late. They get a first down that basically is going to end the game in overtime. Then they call in a review and they overturn it. There's no evidence to prove that the guy didn't get the first down. Absolutely ridiculous. That only happens to the Browns. I mean, if I were a Browns fan, I would have been so livid after that loss to the Raiders. I mean, they, I mean yes, did they kind of piss it away themselves a little bit? They did. But, you know, when you have a chance to get a first down on third and whatever and basically salt the game away and then they overturn it on, again, it's supposed to be blatant. It was not blatant by any stretch that they didn't get the first down. Not even close. It was ridiculous. The announcers were dumbfounded by the call. Of course, the NFL sticking to its guns and saying, you know, Al Riveron telling me that he made a, they made a good day. They didn't make any good. It was ridiculous. It's ridiculous because it's the Browns. If that were the Patriots or the Packers, you know, Almost any other team, they would have never overturned that. Certainly not the Pats or the Packers. I mean, we know that. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I you know, I, I feel, you know, I, I feel the Browns' pain. As a Lions fan, they we're very similar in that regard. So uh, I feel their pain. <laughs> We'll do more college football as the season wears on. I have to admit, I didn't see hardly any college football Saturday. 
I missed the Ohio State-Penn State game for the most part. I was out having dinner, and I was at a thing during the day for high school homecoming. So I missed the early games. I pretty much missed the late games, too. Um, great comeback win by Ohio State. It's two years in a row now where Penn State's had a double-digit lead late and blown it. Uh, of course, you know, James Franklin cannot help himself in his post-game press conference, right? We're really good. We're going to be great. We're going to – I mean, it, it, nobody loves to hear himself talk more than James Franklin. I guess – is that – is it a prerequisite to be a total tool and also be a successful college football head coach? Urban Meyer, James Franklin, Nick Saban. I mean, all of these guys, they're insufferable. I mean, all of them. Now, I'm not lumping in James Franklin with Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, Urban Meyer, the fact that he's still even coaching is laughable after the whole domestic violence situation that took place with one of his assistants over the summer we all know why he's still there because they you know because they win all the damn time but right now if you're looking at college football i mean there's you know the best teams are alabama georgia clemson ohio state and you may you could probably throw lsu in the mix too so you know it'll be interesting to see you know bama georgia and it's probably only fitting those guys play each other again at some point. Um, Clemson, they had a little scare with the quarterback, but he's fine. He's going to play this week against Wake Forest. They've got that nasty defensive line. You know, LSU actually looks like they might be able to throw the ball a little bit in addition to having a good stable of running backs like they always do. And, you know, athletes all over the place on defense. I mean, they've already beaten Auburn, and they beat Miami, two pretty good wins. Not that Miami's great, but still, not a bad win. And they, 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 they handled them, too. It wasn't like it was a close game. So, you know, and Alabama just keeps continuing to rip through teams. I mean, you're going to give Alabama, you know, you're going to give them a really good quarterback, a dynamic quarterback. Look, I like Jalen Hurts. Kid was a winner. He's tough. But, I mean, you know, this kid, too, is just better than he is. He's a better passer. He's just a better quarterback. So... <coughs> We shall see. But, yeah, we'll do more college football as the season wears on, you know, and, and, and some of the, the bigger games start to pop up on the schedule. I mean, we've had a couple here and there. Let me take a look at the slate for this week. I mean, you've got, you know, the, probably the best game on the schedule right now, LSU-Florida. Florida's ranked 22nd. It's an SEC matchup. That'll be the 330 game on Siebes. Um. You know, let's see what else. I'm just taking a look at top 25 games. I mean, Georgia's playing Vanderbilt. You think Georgia should handle them? Um, you know, OSU's playing Indiana. That should be a blowout. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of great games this week. There's just not. Notre Dame, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's ranked 24th. You know, Notre Dame is trying to make a case, obviously, to be one of the four. Um, you know, they did beat Michigan. Still don't know how good Michigan is. Um, you know, they beat Ball State, but didn't look very good doing it. Uh, they did take. They did do a little number on Stanford last week, which I have to give them credit. It was impressive. So, we shall see. So, that's probably, those are your, probably your two best games this weekend. Virginia Tech, Notre Dame. That's Saturday night game, 8 o'clock, ABC. And then LSU, Florida, 3.30 on Siebes. And then finally, we'll get out of here on this. 
I know I'm going to sound crazy, and I know my man Justin is probably not not buying in. I, I can't say I would blame him, but I watched the Knicks preseason game the other night, and Knox looked pretty good. 13 points, 10 rebounds, missed his first couple threes, then made a couple. This kid Mitchell Robinson, I'm telling you, he's DeAndre Jordan 2.0. I mean, he doesn't know how to dribble probably. He doesn't have a low post move to, to speak of. But if you throw the ball up around the rim or if you don't block him out on the offensive glass, he will take it and he will dunk it. And he will play defense. He had three block shots. He had seven points. You know, he's over four from the foul line, but... You know, he's got to clean that up a little bit, but his, his, his form looks fine. I think it might have just been nerves or whatever. But he, listen, he's, he's raw as hell. He's 19, right? He didn't play organized basketball basically last year. But, I mean, the ability is there. The athleticism is there. I mean, it, it's, it's obvious. And then this, this, this Alonzo Trier kid that they, saw, that they signed as undrafted free agent out of Arizona who you know, was considered a very good player. He had two PED failed tests in college, which scared a lot of teams off. And I guess teams said he don't play defense. He's a gunner. He might be all those things. He might be a gunner. He might not be able to play any defense. Uh, he's a skilled offensive player. He's got a great handle. He can get into the lane. He can get shots off from different angles. He's a skilled offensive player. That, that, that bears watching. I mean, you could just, listen, I'm not saying he's a better player overall than Frank Nilakina. But he's a much better offensive player. Frank Nilakina, I mean, look, he looked okay the other night. He's just, he's just not very fluid. He's not a fluid athlete. And he just, he, he just, you can just tell he's not a confident offensive player. Now, again, he's young. He may turn into one. But, you know, sometimes you either have that or you don't. And look, the Knicks may not need him to be a scorer, right? I mean, Trey Burke can score. Moutier, who knows? He looked better the other night, but who knows? But, you know, they've got Hardaway, Knox, presumably, um, Ennis Cantor can score. This uh, Herzegona guy can score. The guy they got from Orlando, another lot, failed lottery pick. The Knicks are looking, to, you know, as another reclamation project. He looked pretty good, by the way. Shot the ball well. He had too many turnovers, five, but he looked good shooting the ball. Uh, I'm telling you, look, Knicks may not win a ton of games. They're going to be exciting to watch. I mean, Fizdale has them playing fast tempo. They will block a ton of shots on defense when Robinson's out there. They're athletic. They're young. They're fast. It's going to be a fun team to watch. They'll probably lose a ton of games, especially early. What you want to see from the Knicks is obviously is gradual progress. You want them to be better late in the season than they are early. But I'll tell you, with, I love Fizdale, love his attitude, love his energy. I love that he's already come out and said nobody's getting, no one is assured a starting job. I don't care how, what your contract is, what your draft status, no assured st- starting jobs yet. I love it. Everybody seems to bought, be bought in. Everybody's energized. It's great. I like that the Knicks aren't chasing after Jimmy Butler, sacrificing you know potential assets later, and eating up valuable car- salary cap space. No. Stay the course. Get, get, get Courtney Lee out of here at some point. Get Joe Kim Noah out of here. Right? You want to keep one veteran around for, you know, Lance Thomas supposedly some good veteran leadership. Okay. And his canter, you know I love his, his enthusiasm and his energy that that guy brings. Although I know he's an imperfect player, and in today's NBA, if you're, not, if you're seven feet and you don't shoot threes, nobody likes you. 
God forbid you score from five feet and in in today's NBA. But I like this team. It's going to be fun. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Facebook page, Jamal About Sports, website, jamalaboutsports.com, and on Twitter, at Jamal About Sport, no S. Until next week, enjoy all the sports, and peace out.